in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Destin Melbarnes, Lizzie Haynes, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. I am your host, Russell Guest, and joining me today is my good friend and co-host, Ms. Lizzie Haynes from the Bluegrass State of Kentucky. How are you doing, sir? I am doing great. I'm so excited to be here with you guys. I'm excited for our guest, and I'm excited for our movie. It's a great night to podcast. I'm excited for this guest, too, coming to us from Atlanta, Georgia. First time guest, Miss Allie Gauche. How are you doing? I am doing well here in Hotlanta. I, people from Atlanta don't say Hotlanta, so maybe I should rewind. Is it, is it just yes, warm Atlanta? Atlanta. Is it just warm Atlanta because it's fall? It's right now. It's like it's still tepid. I would say it's tepid Atlanta. Tepid Atlanta right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Temperate Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Pretty okay. good climate. Now, <laughs> Allie, I hear you like movies, but I also hear you like TV, and maybe you and Lizzie yeah. both like a certain scary TV program that's retro in its own right. Do you want to tell us about a certain project that you may have coming out soon? Yeah. So. Um, Lizzie and I are, we roll deep. We are good, good friends and uh, we share a love of a lot of things. And randomly one day, I don't even know how we started talking about it, Lizzie, but we started talking about our uh, the 1990s SNCC. If you guys remember SNCC, Saturday Yay. Night Nick, the show Are You Afraid of the Dark, which came out in like 1992. And in in our discussions about it, you know, are You Afraid of the Dark is a show that a lot of people remember. But like if we think about it these days, like Lizzie was a little bit younger than me. I'm the I'm the elder of the group of podcasters. So I was six when the show came out. And I'm still like, why did my mom let me watch this before I went to sleep? <laughs> like it's it's a little, it's a little scary. But yeah, we watch the podcast every week. We're doing it in order. Um, so you get to see the show evolve. You get to see the Midnight Society evolve, and you'll get to see us as podcast hosts um stumble through it and hopefully evolve to be much better it took me a while to be able to brave the show yeah. i was i was i would watch all that and then i would chicken out oh uh, all, yeah all that would go off yeah. and then the attic shot would come in and the doors banging I, and stuff and i, I remember walked away i did i, I did. remember my pulse like picking up and my sister was nine at the time and she was like stop being such a baby I'm like, I literally am a baby. I'm six. So like, back off, bro. I like to imagine that she still sounds like that. So She actually does. I hope she listens to this. <laughs> the intro is the scariest part of the show by far. So if you can just survive the introduction, then after that, like you're golden. Like you can pretty much just yeah. get – I mean, maybe if you're six, not so much. But for like a nine, ten-year-old, it's, it's the intro that will get you. Yeah. And I think what we're realizing as we watch the show back is – None of this would happen in 2023 
because (laughs) episode one, as an example, two kids get lost in the woods. All they have is a map. They go hiking in the woods with just a map. They don't have their phone. They don't have a cell phone. They don't have, you know, Google Maps pulled up. And now they're like- friendly snowman singing Lost in the Woods with them? They don't, right? (laughs) And so, um, yeah, like a lot of the problems in the show just wouldn't happen today. So it's really interesting to see- like what now I think all of the shows would have to be the episodes would have to be like rooted in technology or something because it's like an anti-technology show. And you can tell that from the cinematography and the editing. But also <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, great, great bad acting, great writing. So yeah, movies. I can I can do a movie once in a while, which I've done for you guys. But yes, TV. Listen to the podcast, Pod You Afraid of the Dark. It's me, Lizzie, and our friend Leah. We have a good time. And hope you have a good time listening to us. Yeah. Coming soon. Coming soon. Podcast providers near you. Yes. Now, uh, we're doing a funny movie today. uh, Like uh, we're shaking off the creeps and the chills and the spooky stuff here. Now, uh, we're doing something funny today. Allie, who's your favorite comedic actress? Like retro or modern day? You can go either. Okay. Uh, so modern day, I think the work of Amy Schumer in the movie Trainwreck is impeccable. Mm-hmm. Yes. So many good lines. Like when she's running on that treadmill and then she's like, I haven't eaten anything today except for a bag of chips and a yogurt and some Chipotle. And he goes, so you basically had two meals and a snack. And she's like, yeah, but they were really small. Like great acting. Uh, you know, when I think back to the 90s, a lot of people stand out, not necessarily for comedy. I think that like female comedians definitely came more into the forefront, like as Tina Fey and Amy Poehler came on to Saturday Night Live back in the um, the 90s, early 2000s. But, you know, the rom-com, the second word is comedy. And so right. going into the yeah, – you can't have it without comedy, you know, going into it. And one of the reasons I picked this movie – is because the acting chops of Sandra Bullock, she's a genius, While You Were Sleeping, great film. This one, great film, the one we're talking about today. The sequel to the one we're talking about today, eh. But like, a lot of range. A lot of range. But yeah, Sandra Bullock is one that definitely stands out um, from like a retro perspective for sure. And that's not even like retro. 1990 was what, 20 years ago? 2000? We call it 10 years. Or, it, yeah, we call it 10 years ago and before. But I, mean, I know. I'm just kidding. In my mind, 1990 will always be 10 years ago, even right, though it will be three years <laughs> yeah. ago. It's a little farther than that at this point. What about you, Lizzie? The, uh, what is a comedic actress that you connect with? I put Katherine Hahn because – she is like I absolutely love her. She does the best in the supporting roles. So like in Step Brothers or We Are the Millers, you know, she always <laughs> is like that goofy character that just makes a cameo. And I I just I love her. She warms my spirit. She always can make me smile and honestly just like when she is on the screen, I'm having fun. I love her. That's a great choice. I like uh, – so for my choice here, I'm going to go with Ms. Melissa McCarthy. She is – Oh, that's a, a good one. It's a great she one. Is, she is a force, and I love it. She takes over. I mean, I remember – I didn't really watch her TV show, uh, Mike and Molly, right? Yes. So 
bridesmaids. I went in not knowing who she was, and she just stole the show for me. She was so hilarious in that. (laughs) (laughs) Just all the dogs she had. (laughs) (laughs) Like the aggression in her work on Saturday Night Live is outstanding Mm -hmm. when she goes on there. I mean, she can take a movie that I think is a total dud and turn it into something I'm, I'm willing to like watch. I mean, like that's like people like Jim Carrey and her can turn a total loser of a movie into something that's like, hey, all right, congratulations, you saved it. It's now it's now an all right movie. Like I didn't say it was great, but um, that takes a lot of talent to turn F material into, you know, even C plus material. And when she's on fire and has the right material, it's just amazing. So, now, Allie, what is the last movie you sold? Doesn't have to be in the theaters. It doesn't have to be retro. Oh my gosh, this is going to be so embarrassing because, like, you want the honest answer? Yes. Oh uh, yes. The more embarrassing, the better. Okay. So, like, again, I'm a creature of habit. I watch the same things over and over. I watched the Pride and Prejudice movie with Kira Knightley an oh! embarrassing amount of times. I love that movie so much. I probably watched it twice in the last month. Then so you'll have good. to teach us. I, I, I've never seen this movie, so you'll have to. For, for oh, a movie fan, I'm a terrible movie. Watch it. I the guy, Succession the guy from Succession. In he's in it. He's Mister Darcy. Yes, it's just like the language, and they have balls and like you cooks have and like a weird cousin. Yes, but I watch that movie all the time. Last movie in the theater was I saw Oppenheimer, but that was the last movie I'd seen in the theater since 2018. And it had neither prejudice nor pride in it, so it's not. No, Oppenheimer was just loud and had tense music the whole time. I think that's why I've gone back into my hidey hole of Jane Austen, because Oppenheimer was, it was pretty intense. But yeah, Pride and Prejudice, but the Keira Knightley one, not the, um, oh, what's that? Not the BBC one. Colin Firth, yeah. Colin Firth. (laughs) He is not Mr. Darcy. You can tell I'm a Pride and Prejudice fan, but the... Kira Knightley one, I'm on board. Is oh, when he's walking Kira. through that field at the the field at the end, like yes. ten out of ten. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Lizzie, how about you? What's the last movie you saw? Uh, Ghost with Patrick Swayze, Demi Moore, and Whoopi Goldberg. But it was kind of the first intro to spooky season. I say spooky season because I specifically remember having the gnarliest nightmares at those really creepy kind of demonic creatures that kind of come into the come into the fold a couple of times without spoiling anything on who they come for. But it's um it the sounds that they make and even watching it with Aaron, we still were just like, that's pretty scary. And we talk about uh, but, that's a rom scare maybe. It's a rom scare. Cozy horror for sure. It's a great movie. It's if anyone hasn't checked that movie out, it's an absolute classic. I smell a I smell a crossover effort coming on, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. So you'll yeah. be you'll be you'll be talking about ghosts on another friend of the show's podcast, if I'm not mistaken. I sure will. I sure will. And I'm very, very excited to talk all things ghost. It's going to be amazing. And this is the RetroMade podcast, right? RetroMade. Definitely check that out. Uh, our ho- host of RetroMade, Kate, came on to talk about Mystic Pizza on this podcast. And so Chad and I are going to talk all things ghost over on hers. And it is going to be fun. Pizza goes great with ghost, I think. So that's that's, right. that's a great follow-up. <laughs> All right. right. Um, now, my last movie that I saw was the a newer movie. It is the 2023 version of The Flash with Ezra Miller in it. Oh, nice. And, uh, it has Michael Keaton Batman. 
and that is fun Ooh. for me. So I like Michael Keaton Batman a whole lot. So Michael Keaton's definitely one of those that I would have had to Google is Michael Keaton still still alive. So thank you. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to. Yeah, and he's he's Batman, and he'll let you know. So I mean, uh, and he was Birdman, right? Isn't that yes. what I think? Yeah. Is he oh, your yeah. Batman? Yeah. I mean, he's an icon. I mean, love that guy. He's an so, aviary icon for sure. But is so, he your Batman? Definitely. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Val Kilmer is mine, but my second place is Michael Keaton. For sure. Brian, Michael Clooney? No Clooney. No Clooney. Mm, Clooney no. is Christian Bale is probably my like least favorite Batman. Robert Pattinson. That, um, no one. No Robert Pattinson. I'd like more than Christian Bale. I love the the Christopher Nolan movies, but it just is him as Batman. He's my least favorite. So. Um, it's an okay movie, but Michael Keaton Batman makes it even better than just okay. So that that helped yeah. me out a lot. Now, what movie are we going to cover today, Allie? So um, I think whenever Lizzie asked me to be on this podcast, she said, hey, we're going to do – the theme is like girl power movie. Mm-hmm. Which and is I why i te- <laughs> Russell bringing it. I think I texted her back in about 26 seconds, which is a world record for me. And I no doubt said Miss Congeniality, Sandra Bullock, Michael Caine, Benjamin Bratt, Perfection, amazing, amazing film. Yes. So Miss Congeniality, number one, not number two. (laughs) (laughs) So this comes out in 2000, Miss Congeniality does. Its budget is $45 million. So it's a pretty hefty budget for a comedy. If you're getting candy in there, you need that money. Yeah. But I mean, it grosses it grosses one hundred and six point eight million dollars domestically alone. It comes in at twenty first in the box office. It comes in just behind Chicken Run, and ahead of Gone in sixty seconds. So it, it does well at the box office. The number one movie in two thousand was How the Grinch Stole Christmas, and IMDb gives Miss Congeniality a six point three. The critics of Rotten Tomatoes not not as kind to it. They they give it a forty one percent. The audience score likes it a little better. It's sixty nine percent. It is followed by Miss Congeniality 2, Armed and Fabulous in 2005. And, and this is nominated for two Golden Globes, Best Actress for a Comedy or Musical to Miss Sandra Bullock, and Best Original Song in Motion Picture, Boston's One in a Million. And it is a Teen Choice Award winner, the prestigious Teen Choice Award winner, uh, for Best Teen Choice Award for uh, movie comedy. So uh, Grab that surfboard, right? Weren't, mm-hmm. weren't they surfboards they gave out? Yes. Hey, not every movie has awards to its name, so you can take yeah, that 41%. Yeah, it's the most inconvenient award, too. Yeah, no, you like, can take that What am I going to do, carry, the surf- <laughs> carry a surfboard around all night? No. Critics can take that 41% cent back to the, 41% back to the bank with the Teen's Choice Awards. They, they, uh, yeah. they set the record straight there. Now, Allie, I get the gist that you may have seen this one before. What was your introduction to the movie? What was your first time taking it in? What's it like coming back to it now? So I was, like, asking my sister... Um, 2000, I would have been how old? Six, 16? No, I can't math. 14? 14. Yes. I was ripe age. And we saw it in the theater. I'm pretty sure. I was like, we went to go see this in theaters because my sister and I growing up had an obsession with beauty pageants, like sick obsession. There are millions of home videos of me crying because the person that I wanted to win didn't win. 
beauty pageants. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. About we you. Would, I love that. We take 50 Barbie dolls, write the state names on little pieces of tissue, cut the tissues and glue them on 50 Barbie dolls and play along with pageants. And we would record them and rewatch them and rewatch them. Maybe that's why I only watch Pride and Prejudice with Kira Knightley is because I only watched pageant reruns back in, in the late 80s, early 90s. But we loved pageants. And so it was right up our alley to go see a movie about a pageant. And wow. 10 out of 10 satisfied. Okay. And so what's it like coming back to it now? You've gotten older and is it still there for you in the same way? Man, still slaps. There are, And we'll talk about great lines, but there are some just great lines in there that I think have – entered the zeitgeist of culture. Yes. You know, there are just so many iconic moments and every time I see them, my heart still gets the little pitter pats, you know, I'm like, okay, now what about you, Lizzie? What was your background with this movie? You know, I can't, I'm going to be totally honest. I cannot remember the first time that I saw it. I don't have as much of a vivid memory of the first time, but it's one of those movies that I've seen so many times and I love so much that it almost feels like, it's that same sens- sensation like when you meet somebody you've been friends with for a really long time and you're like, well, we've just always known each other. Like I just – it feels like we've been friends forever. That's kind of my relationship with this movie. I think sometimes certain movies kind of just like hit the right spot for you and kind of become ingratiated in your overall personality. And I think this movie definitely did that for me. I just remember – I can't remember a time where this wasn't a movie that I was obsessed with. I – absolutely loved it. And I have not seen it in many years. It's a movie that I've not revisited. I have to imagine, I mean, in at least like six or seven years, I haven't seen it. But I'm with Allie where like there's this closeness to it that I still feel even without watching it. And getting back to being able to watch it specifically for this podcast, I feel like everything held up. Like I watched most of it while I was on the treadmill at the gym and I'm like having like headphones and I'm like bursting out loud with laughter with like people all around me. It is just – I enjoyed it just as much rewatching it now probably as I did the first time I saw it, maybe even more now that some of the jokes I actually understand. So it it was great. I loved it. They both have this big beaming smile just even – Starting to talk about it, I yes. love I love this enthusiasm for it. This is great. Uh, I had never seen Michigan Geniality before, so this is my first Stop. time ever. Oh my god! I know you took your V card, your Michigan Geniality V card. Oh yes, god. I had never seen it before, so oh, we're honored. Um, I, you know, I kind of wanted to see it, but it's just one of those movies that you know I just never got around to seeing. Like I knew the premise, I saw the preview, and I was like, you know, spy or secret agent, or I should say FBI agent being sent into a beauty pageant. Brilliant idea. That's a very, very funny idea. I want to find out more about what's going on here. And, you know, I just don't get to see every movie sometimes, and I just never got around to it at the rental store back then and since then. And so I was really glad to come to it now. It is very funny. I think there's some things in here as coming to it in 2023. I think some of the writing things might be handled a little bit differently today. But I definitely am seeing your reaction to it, which is important to see how it resonated with people at the time. And if you got it, if you got it, you know, at the right time, and clearly you both did, and the movie imprints on you and helps shape your comedic sense and matters that much to you, that's awesome. And I liked it, and I can, I'm really excited to have this conversation with somebody who's new to it because 
much of it did work. I just, I really thought I thought this was a funny movie, and I think this is one of those. Uh, I love Sandra Bullock, and I think she's got good range. And you know, sometimes we think of her as being like Gravity. You know, that's a very mm-hmm. serious role, or or Speed. Um, but I think you know, this congeniality or the heat just shows that she can be very funny as well. So, yes. Um, yeah, I, I, and we may be talking about this later, but like she and Benjamin Bratt did all their own stunts in this film too. So like she can hold up with the physical, like action, speed. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. can do the drama. She can do the comedy. What can't she do, guys? Well, I was going to say this movie is like a vehicle for Sandra Bullock. I don't mm-hmm. think this movie works without somebody else in her in, in the spot that she, she has. She has the charisma. She has the toughness. She has the humor. She has the timing. Uh, the, some of the supporting cast around is really good some of it's not and but this movie works on the back of sandra bullock she's awesome and i you know this movie clearly had a lot of money to work with but i think whatever they paid her was every bit of worth it because that's why you have a movie that's probably why we're talking about it today now if you don't want this movie spoiled and i didn't want it spoiled for me so we will be back after these messages there will be spoilers that lie ahead Just check it out it is very funny it is worth checking out and we'll be back after these messages welcome to the all 80s movies podcast i'm bill and i'm jason and this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters the flops and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies the 1980s so whether you're a brain a jock a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening. We're back. And for those of you who haven't seen this movie, this is your final warning. There will be spoilers that lie ahead. So, Lizzie, for those who haven't seen Miss Congeniality since 2000, do you want to refresh people's memories? Yes. Grace Hart is a hard-headed, rough-around-the-edges FBI agent who is known amongst her peers as a homely screw-up that cannot follow orders. Her office is currently fighting against time to find a domestic terrorist, the citizen, who has threatened his next attack to be at the Miss United States pageant. The Bureau is beyond desperate for an undercover agent as a pageant contestant, and Grace needs to rehabilitate her reputation among her peers. Grace now going by Gracie Lou Freebush, is turning heads, especially with Eric, her co-agent. Gracie, once so reluctant to cohabitate with pageant ladies, is now finding that these women have a sisterhood and a bond that is unlike anything she has ever experienced. For the first time, she has friends and something to fight for beyond her job assignments. While on a Girl Talk excursion, she discovers the showrunner Kathy is being fired and her assistant Frank is actually her delinquent son. Before Grace can report back to her team, they let her know that they have caught the citizen and the job is over. Gracie is once again set on following her instincts and follows the lead of Kathy, certain that she's acting as a copycat. 
Back at the competition, Gracie is a runner-up in the pageant, but not without blowing her cover, causing a huge scene, but all while her theory proves correct and she saves the pageant. Afterwards, Eric confesses his newfound attraction to Gracie. They share a kiss, and the ladies crown her Miss Congeniality. Well done, well done. So, Allie, you said you were a fan of pageants. This movie both pokes fun at, but ends up coming back to kind of defend it and say, like, hey, we like what we like, and it's okay to like this. Uh, You know, it kind of initially starts off poking fun at, like, I don't know who would ever do this misogynistic kind of activity or whatever. Um, there's a, there's an arc there to watch this tough woman entering the world of pageantry. Is this a rewarding thing as somebody who is a fan of pageants? Yeah. So if I geek out too much, just roll with me for a second. And it's, it's not always a beauty pageant. It can be a scholarship program. And I'll tell you (laughs) why. The Miss United States is a fictional pageant. In the United States, there are two main pageant circuits. You have the Miss USA organization, which is affiliated with the past president of the United States. We're not going to talk politics, but Trump organization, Miss USA. That is a beauty pageant modeling competition. There are no educational requirements. It doesn't give out scholarship money. It is a modeling competition. And I think that's what people normally think of when they think of beauty pageants. They think of just like pretty, pretty people who can walk and look good in bathing suits. What I think Miss United States is built off of is Miss America. So the Miss America organization truly is a scholarship program. And I'm like team Miss America all the way. So the only um, prizes you get are scholarship money. Um, You have to have a platform that you raise money for and that you've been involved with for years and years and years. You have to do community service. You have to have a talent, which like the talents that these people have are like they've been playing the piano for 20 years, right? very long time, very deep with talent. And they got to be smart. Like there are past Miss Americas who have been chemists and like gone on to be doctors and lawyers and all these things. And it's because of the Miss America organization that they're able to do these things. They're able to pay for law school and become, um, you know, the influential citizens that they aspire to be. So there's no Off talent my- and there's no talent in one there's of There's no talent in Miss USA. Okay. I wasn't. I was imagining if it was just talentless talent, like paddleball or something like that. Watch me. Um, you know, their talent is converting. No, I'm just kidding. I was going to say converting <laughs> oxygen into carbon dioxide. <laughs> They're very smart women too, I'm sure. But like the tenets of the pageants are very different. Got it. And there's nothing wrong with both. We should celebrate beauty. We should celebrate brains and grace and everything like that. But they're two very different things. And I think what this movie does so well is really address that at the beginning of like the misconceptions of it and then dovetail into what it really is, which is, you know, America's future female leaders in these, in these pageants. So that's what I'll say. I have known three Miss New Yorks. I've known one Miss America, um, went to college with them. Some of the most brilliant people you'll ever meet. Wow. And I even read that they don't even do a swimsuit competition anymore in Miss America. That, that's anymore. pretty recent. They used to, but talent is huge. They get multiple onstage questions and things like that, but it's it's not for the faint of heart. Allie, which one was Miss South Carolina where she was talking about maps? <laughs> that is Miss Team USA, which... Okay. <laughs> if, if you don't know what Lizzie's talking about, look it up. It is hilarious. You're welcome. Some of the people don't have maps in like the Asia and America, <laughs> and the Asia and Africa. Oh man, 
I remember Jimmy Kimmel took like a like 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 a late night like a, he was diagramming out the grammar of it like you know and, and he was defending it in a very ridiculous sort of way. He's like, see, yeah, it's true. A lot of people don't have maps. She's right about that. We, you know, it is so funny. So funny. It, it, and I love these blunders that the internet gives us sometimes. Like the boom does the dynamite guy who's just like. Oh, I went to college new- with boom goes the dynamite guy. Really? Well, Ball State. I, it's the it's the place of Miss Americas and boom goes the dynamite guy. That's that is funny. amazing. That's but but when you like these people in a way, and you watch them struggling, you're not laughing at them. We're human beings. We've all screwed up massively. Whether it's just oh, giving a absolutely. speech in front of your class, and so you're rooting for them to get back on track, and and it doesn't work at all. They get worse off track, and there's just this there's this nature of like you're rooting for the come on, you'll get this. Uh-huh. And no. uh-huh. So. Uh, those are those are wonderful human moments uh, when that happens. <laughs> um, so, I I think just one of the things that's amazing is to see the other the shoes on the other foot. You know, somebody who's just really pretty and may not have a lot going on under the hood. You know, trying to be shoved in a position and you know let's watch this vapid, you know, airhead stumble through a situation and fish out of water kind of thing. Well, this time it takes somebody who thinks that they've got everything, they've got all the skills, and you know, like I, I can fight, I can do all this stuff. I'm, I'm really awesome in this world. She's tough, and she has to enter a world that she quite honestly looks down upon, and like that is a very funny thing to watch her, uh, kind of pushed into this, and to watch her, you know, <laughs> realize how hard this is, and in the process the people that she looked down upon in a very condescending manner she ended up liking. So I think a great comedy, it doesn't have to, like, I mean, we covered uh, Take the Money and Run. There's no heart in that movie at all. It's just funny. You can get by on just being funny, but there's something that is a safer formula for me is if you have this warmth, like a home alone, just you sit there and you're like, my heart feels good. There's some, there's a feeling of this feels good to watch. And this movie has that. I just really thought that this movie feels good to watch. Mm-hmm. It's also very like women supporting women, which I think yes. in films a lot of times and in life people pit women against women. And this is really about like embracing your womanhood and the in the sisterhood in that, right? And you know, there's some people that girl from Texas, Mary Joe, not everybody likes Mary Joe yes. all the time. Um, but nobody is like made fun of or like looked down on. Really, maybe with the exception of answering the question about the perfect date, which we'll come to. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Other than I that, agree. though, like it's it's about genuine feminine, re- positive feminine relationships. That's I an totally interesting point. Agree. Lizzie, is totally like they're an example of like where that's not happening. Or like, is this movie turning the corner, whereas other movies weren't doing this? You mean is where it's not happening, where there's not a sense of sisterhood, or yeah, like is, is this a movie that's so like a change of direction for movies? Like, because you're talking about it being women supporting women, is that not what Hollywood's putting out there in 2000 typically? Or I think um, so. There's a really awesome movie I think that probably came out maybe 10 years before. It's called Drop Dead Gorgeous. I'm sure is like a pageant girl, girly alley that you'd seen that movie as well, like Denise Richards and Kristen Dunst and. It was kind of like election meets miscongeniality, possibly in the sense of the fact that it's a it's supposed to be a sat a true satire of pageants as opposed to like an actually scripted movie with a plot and all of that. Like you're supposed to be interviewing 
all of these different pageant queens and you watch how they well, – not all of them, but some of them like truly look to sabotage their competition. And I think at that particular time in the zeitgeist, like that was really prevalent. Like I think this kind of like women supporting women movement, I feel very much that we're still in. But when I was growing up, I didn't feel that very much. Like I think that there seemed to be this idea that there was only room for one at the top. And now we know what we know of there's plenty of space for everyone and that all ships rise with the same tide. But I think at that particular time, this was probably the first movie where I really saw True Sisterhood. The scene that stands out the most to me in this that as an example is this is towards the end. So at this point, the FBI has gone home. They've completely detached from her project. She is still super convinced that it's Kathy. And Vic, who is played by Michael Caine, absolute genius part of this movie. He is the pageant consultant, all the hair and makeup guy. He has left as well. And so she shows up and she's rumbling through her makeup kit. And she's like, okay, um, and she's late. She's like, which one of these is lipstick? And the ladies hear her. And like that would have been a perfect time for all of the women to be like, look at this. Like what the heck, Jersey? Like, you know what? I'm just going to let you fall on your face because like this is really about – it's a competition. And if I win, then, you know, if you can't figure out how to get your look together, like that only really benefits me at the end and just gets rid of one extra person in the competition. But that's not what happens. What happens is they rally around her and they help her put her makeup on. And I love that scene. And to me, that's like the biggest example of sisterhood of like they it's a competition yet they recognize that their sister needs help and so they put the competition aside and they work together to get her face on there's a bunch of that right like when she gives cheryl the flaming batons to yes routine or they go out and they eat pizza and have beer and it's just like pizza's powerful if you want people there's nothing like pizza beside an indoor pool yeah, I mean, so, that, that, that just clearly <laughs> that helped her out. Without the pieces, she doesn't have that help. Yeah, it's amazing. There's just a lot of really wonderful scenes. And I think, you know, she, like you were saying, Grace thinks she's got it all figured out. She's, I, I really think this movie is more of like, there's the whole Eric love story that kind of makes it like romantic, I suppose. But I think this movie is really more about her learning lesson in sisterhood more so than her finding Eric and anything in, in anything else. It's like she yeah. finds her voice and she finds her voice through other women kind of lifting her up because before they make it a point to show her life before all of this. You know, she goes home from that botched job. She like takes a microwave dinner, tosses it in and then just, yeah, like does like the fork. Totally annihilates it with a fork first. She's rough. <laughs> She's rough in everything she does. Yes. And then she, she just like, stick that spoon in her microwave too. I'm like, yes, girl. She Your just life throws is out her hunting bag all night long. Like she really doesn't have a life and she even admits it. She's like, I'm the job. I'm in the job. And so I think that this movie, like by the end of it, she, yes, like she's transformed and she probably owns a brush now and is like beautiful. But it's really more about the fact that like she actually has realized like when you open your life up to having like fellowship with other women, like beautiful things can happen when you allow yourself to be loved and love others. It's just – it's an awesome way to transform life. Yeah. And maybe as an adult, it hits harder even because making female friends as an adult is 
terrifying. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> I agree. I that the friendship part didn't hit me as a kid. I was kind of more yeah. into like the you want the to love me. You want to smooch me. Like I was more into that as a kid. <laughs> But I feel like now I totally agree. Like I almost think like Eric is disposable. I think that the mm-hmm. – um, but I I feel like the sisterhood, like her and, and Cheryl, like in particular, like I just absolutely love Cheryl so much and like their friendship and just I, – I love it. I think that's really what the movie is about. I I think that those are the definitely the strongest points of the friendships and the internal growth of finding out – you know, it's getting fish out of water, but finding out these people that you don't like very much or you just, like I said, you look down on and then you end up realizing so often your life is enriched by being around people who are not like you. Mm-hmm. And very they've true. given you a chance to look outside of your world. And I, uh, I'm i with you. I think they, they paint a fairly, um, I wouldn't say sad necessarily, but there's, there's problems in the world that she inhabits. They show that this is not a fun place for a woman to inhabit necessarily like i mean people are in the bureau i don't know if it was if this is accurate for the time period it certainly seems like you'd be racking up sexual harassment cases and stuff super fast um i mean but there's a um again this locker room talk culture if you will or mm-hmm. like this um and, and she has to just kind of play within the system the boss isn't going to fix it and say like hey we're not doing that here the intermediate people in power are definitely encouraging it you know and so i just think it's one of those things where the at this point if this were written later again say like the barbie movie or something like that is aggressively challenging status quo she is accepting and finding out the growth within herself she doesn't necessarily come back and challenge the system that she's within to change necessarily and i think if this movie's made later that that is something that probably would be done differently eric's character is not very nice He's homophobic. He's, you know, he's incredibly shallow. He hits on every woman he sees. And at no point does he really have a character arc to change his behavior. He's just in the pool looking amazing and, you know, telling her that, you know, like, I actually like you as your personality. It's like that that came out of But you only say that after she's gorgeous. Correct. Yes. Yes. And um, that's, there's no humbling of him. There's no realizing, oh, I liked you this whole time or I really needed you as a partner. We really complete each other or I'm falling on my face without you or I'm not actually, you know, leading very well and you have a lot of the skills that I need and I really respect you. I almost think if this hadn't gone the romantic way, but just a symbiotic partner, a true respecting platonic work relationship that said, you're my partner and I need you and you bring so much to the table that I don't have. And I'm sorry I treated you that way. You know, I think I think yeah. some of that might have been a better direction to go. And again, this movie's 2000. We're coming from every time we do a movie from a different era, it is a time capsule. We, If you want to go back and watch the movie we did 9 to 5, done in the 70s, yes. women in the workplace, I mean, that does not look fun to be, <laughs> does not look like, that does not look like a fun environment for a female worker to be in. And so things have changed since the 70s at this point. But um it you know it just again today we're we're already 23 years past this there are some things that are starting to sit there and go like oh yeah that wouldn't fly today and mm-hmm. that's an interesting passage of time sort of thing but yeah. i'm with you well, not think- to not to spoil number 2 the armed and fabulous but uh eric and 
Gracie Lou, do not make it. Not surprising. I don't think he really deserves her. I kind of am glad to he hear doesn't. that. Yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't. Even just the way he asks her out. Like, so in the beginning, like, you're absolutely right. Like, she's so far superior than him. You know, he gets his first job assignment and he's like, so what do we do? And she's like, well, the first thing that you're going to want to do is contact the Miss United States pageant to make sure that you have their cooperation. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Oh, yeah, we should do that. Uh-huh. We should do that. And, like, really oh, and then you should now. contact, like, the local authorities there so that they don't feel like we're stealing their thunder. Oh, you know, yep, let's do that too. So, like, they definitely try to establish, like, she is superior to him in the job. And then when he asks her out on a date, he's like – Let's go grab dinner. You know, just like a casual dinner. No big deal. I mean, if we happen to have sex afterwards, then like so be it. And I just feel like what what kind of – if someone asked me out like that, it was like let's go grab dinner. And if like we happen to have sex afterwards, I'd be like that's not an invitation that I am enticed by. Like, that's like has, that ever, has that ever worked in the history of <laughs> – it's weird Wine. because it, it sends a message that, oh, I know how to be pretty now because I'm pretty enough, I can have this very handsome man. And yes. he has to have no qualifications to be to earn my affections other than just be really handsome. So what can be sexual harassment from somebody else is not if he's just really good looking. And, you know, I mean, he is, and it just works out for him in this movie. But um, I just felt like that she's too smart for that, you know? Agreed. Yeah, like, I agree. So... Uh, I don't want to, and I don't want to belittle it that much. I think that's a writing structure thing. I think. I think again, in the early two thousand rom coms era, which like that's those are the movies that were printing money back in the early two thousands. How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. Yes. Um, Ten Things I Hate About You. The the catharsis at the end was always a a romantic relationship that was like, good job, woman, you landed the guy, or yes. good job, guy, you landed the girl, which. I think now we're much more comfortable with the resolution of self-actualization and acceptance and self-love, right? Like I think it's just a time machine that's gone 22 years. And I I agree. If I were to go back and produce this movie again, I would have been like, she's fine on her own. Yeah. Totally. doesn't even need a a guy from the side. Like – so it is She's so, just congeniality. So yeah, it is a piv- right. it's a pivot then. So like if this movie's made in the eighties, it's definitely gonna be way worse in terms of like, you know, you know I, I remember I used to love the movie Breakfast Club and I still do. But there's something that really bothered me about it was after, you know, uh Alishidi's character is given a makeover by Molly Ringwald. Mm. Now she's pretty and you can have the wrestler. So pretty. Exactly. All they have to do is take off their glasses and put down their ponytail and they're beautiful. <laughs> no, and, and makeup and put I a white shirt, put a white shirt on instead of a black shirt, which is terrible. <laughs> uh, Emilio Escobar should have just liked her as this art chick, this goth art chick or whatever. And that just, that would have been so much more powerful about their bond and their connection that they were making. And so th- this in some ways is transitioning from that. You, and I even remember when we covered that movie, you just have to do that. People love the ugly duckling story. You know, you have to do that. Yes. And so we're transitioning from there to oh, what we just talked about before. So I think it's really important not to criticize it for that, but to just say, this is a time capsule. These things are ebb and flow. There's push and pull and these, there's these changes. And this is where we were in 2000. And that also goes for the, again, uh, homosexuality is used at times in a, in a humorous way. I love it when Eric doesn't feel comfortable with it. And Michael Caine, and, and so he says FBI agent and gets Michael Caine through the gate. And then two seconds later, people know who Michael Caine's guy is like, you can go anywhere in the backstage you want because you're Michael Caine's character. You're the you're the pageant coach. And he said, don't worry, he's with me. <laughs> and like and like he's like, come along, Muffin. 
And like the guy's like, Ugh. like that's funny. But then there were yeah. other times where again, Eric just seemed mean. And that's just yeah. that shows that we're we're in this time change. So it's interesting how things are when normally when we cover this, I gotta say some things are timeless. This shows a lot of social dynamics that I think are really interesting to look back on in 2000. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. What are some of the things that just make you laugh, Allie? Number one, things that make me laugh is the whole trans her transformation scene where she's getting her eyebrows waxed <laughs> and um, you know, her bikini wax and all these things. That's just like such iconic comedy to me because like being a woman, that stuff sucks. And I think it like leans into that. Um the the moment another one that I really remember and I still think it's so funny is when Cheryl makes her hot chocolate. Yes. <laughs> it's hot. They didn't like even that. give me a chance to say non-fat. <laughs> <laughs> like that always makes me laugh. When she's playing those glasses, like that being her talent. I think they're trying to yes. make fun of like, is anything really a talent that they do? But that's great. But you know, there's so many great lines in this movie. Um the subtlety of especially the relationship between Vic and Grace, mm-hmm. I think is really funny at times. Yes. Um, you know, she's pulling donuts out of her boobs and they're fun. It's fun. Constantly. Guns out of her dress. <laughs> Guns and every she's got she's got stuff everywhere. Um, and still he makes her eat celery. I find that the most upsetting part is when he takes her donut and gives her celery. <laughs> I'm like, it's so that's bad. so rude. Um, those are the, some of the things that, that make me laugh, I think. The hot chocolate scene where she spits it out and she goes, oh, it's hot. <laughs> like, that's, that's so great. Lizzie, what about you? What are some of these things that just make you get a big smile on your face and make you laugh here? The funniest scene for me, and this is like superlative adjacent, so I'll still have something for like favorite quote that's not this, but I, this is what I like out loud cackled when I was, like I said, I'm walking this on the treadmill, um, where they're at their girl talk. It's like they're getting pizza and beer and now they're at that cool like little painting place, which I really would love to experience, by the way. Like that just looks so much fun. Like the little tubey shots and Mm -hmm. the paint drumming, everything. And Grace is trying to pull out of Cheryl if she's ever committed a crime because at this point they know that at one point she had been involved in some kind of protest at her college. And so because of that being on her record, she's starting to kind of align with a potential profile and and now they're looking at her as a suspect. So they're trying to pull it out of her. She's like, hey, you know, like we're having so much fun, so much fun that it should be illegal. Speaking of illegal, have you ever like committed a crime? And Cheryl's like, <laughs> Yes, yes, I have. I stole red underwear from the department store. My mother wouldn't let me buy them. She said they were Satan. <laughs> I can't even finish without laughing. But just it's really what like the cadence in her voice is really what does it for me. It's because this Rhode Island is very funny. She is so innocent and docile and like uninhibited. While I'm not something also- lame like wave batons. Yes, like she's just like, like she makes a puppy face. Oh my gosh, like I just adore her character and that whole scene just the way that she delivers it is amazing and it just it really 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 tickled me. I'd have to say that and like Ali said there's just the dynamic between Vic and Grace where she's in their very first meeting and he's she's like eating a steak. Like so like tell me about this pageant stuff and he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry. I 
Could you repeat that's my that? line. <laughs> yeah, but- <laughs> okay. I won't say it, then I'll save it, but that's like a <laughs> That's a really funny one. That one oh. I remember got my parents when they watched She's it. She's eating steak and like a T-bone and spaghetti. And I remember thinking like- Very weird. Do you eat steak and spaghetti together? No. No. There's no variation. I kind of want that. to. I kind of want to now. Nobody said you can't. I like the tomato sauce, like the spaghetti sauce with- steak so do you I'm, eat hamburger in your spaghetti yeah i guess you do i mean i guess that makes it i guess that's the point i'm just more of like a you're, cut, you're cutting out the middleman you're cutting out the processor <laughs> it's just okay. but yeah, I guess it just makes it that much eat the easier. steak and spaghetti you got it <laughs> so sandra bullock it's i just we talked about how she this movie success six, sorry survives on her back i do want to check out uh, some of these other cast members matt Dillon was originally cast or hugh jackman who had not been Wolverine yet, and he had not been in Swordfish yet, could have been Eric. Um, do we, I don't know, that, I think we talked about Eric's more of an issue of writing. I don't know that either of these guys is going to change it as much, but Allie, do you like Hugh Jackman or Matt Dillon stepping in for Benjamin Bratt here? So, yeah, I've read that too. Matt Dillon to me, I just... I don't know. No offense, Matt Dillon, if you listen to this podcast, but like he's a big fan. <laughs> I just, I'm not. I'm not a big fan. Like no. I, I just have so many visceral memories of him grossing me out and something about Mary that like I just can't suspend I, my disbelief yeah. on on that for a little bit. He's gross. Now he's Jackman is interesting. I almost find him too endearing. I think they needed to find somebody that was less likable. Okay. Those are fair Because this is, this is like Hugh Jackman pre-Wolverine. This is more like when he was in Kate and Leopold. Amazing film. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Like total smash. Um, Hugh Jackman and Kate and Leopold. Great movie. But like he was such a likable guy in that era um, in the romantic comedies. So I think, you know, Benjamin Bratt, he's, he is a smoke show. And he doesn't. He's not like generally likable though. Like you wouldn't look at him and be like, he looks like a super nice dude. So I think he did a fine job. I think his I think his flaw was just again in the writing and character direction for him. Candace Bergen was a great villain, by the way. She was just Uh, you know it's her from a million miles away, but it doesn't matter. That's that's the important thing. Like you're like, well, that's the villain as soon as you see her. But That's not the point in the comedy. It's not that, ooh, this is a surprise. It's that it's as funny as it can be. And Mm -hmm. I think her whole, uh, I guess, jealousy towards being fired and stuff. I mean, again, I thought more Candace Bergen is working for me. Like, watching her become unhinged as she goes through this. Mm -hmm. And they could have played up the creepy dynamic with her creepy son even more, Mm -hmm. I thought. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, and this was like, I remember this too, because she played Murphy Brown in the 90s. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, another show I probably shouldn't have watched, but my parents watched it, and so they made me watch Murphy Brown when when I was a kid. Um, but she hadn't done anything in a while, I think, before Miss Congeniality. Like it was one of her first movies after Murphy Brown, so it was like, oh, Murphy Brown's in it. Like that's kind of cool because it was close enough to that time period. But you youngins that listen to this might not know what Murphy Brown is. Look it up. So I, I like that Sandra Bullock. Per- intentionally didn't take part of dance rehearsals so she would be out of mm-hmm. out of sync with everybody else and i love that uh whenever michael kane and she go back and forth she she jabs at him too 
you know, like that's a very confident man. Like, or yes. like, you know, like, I mean, <laughs> this banter that she hands back to him is good. And it's interesting that she fostered that off, off camera as well. Whenever Michael Caine would mess up a line and, you know, she would uh, look at the camera, like, you know, as they were cutting up and be like, that's it. Take his Oscar away. Take this man's statue away from him. And she looks funny off camera doing all this. So uh, I think Eric Benjamin Bratt said that there's a lot of improv. And then one of the beauties of doing a comedy is that you get to add all this in there. And so Donald Petrie's allowing the actors to come into the roles and what they're doing. So I think that that's, I think that that's part of the group. And you have a very talented group of people playing off of each other. You know, Michael Caine said that his wife, was a uh, beauty Miss World contestant. I think she came in third place or something. And different Miss affiliation. World. Yes, Miss World. And uh, I think I think it was funny when he said he was like, many many years ago, my wife was in uh, a beauty beauty pageant. Well, not that many years ago. Sorry, sugar. <laughs> like 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 <laughs> as if, like um, you know as if she, I didn't mean to say you're old. So, but he said that she gave him all these like pageant tricks and stuff like that since he was supposed to be the pageant guru and he brought that into oh. his uh, performance. So we talked a lot about this kind of dynamic though and like what they're doing here in the improv. Lizzie, Donald Petrie is the same guy who did Mystic Pizza that you covered earlier. What is his, what is his secret sauce here that makes this all so fun as a director? I feel like he also, I mean, I, Mystic Pizza is like a perfect example of this too. I feel like he gets it right when he understands that the story is nothing without the relationship. So like really truly the movie is going to be about the relationships. And you know, you've got yes, like you were saying earlier, you know, what draws you in and pulls you in is this idea of like FBI agent turned beauty queen. But what really gets you to stay, what makes you fall in love with the movie is just the character development. You root for her so much and then you root for the other pageant girls and you just watch this sisterhood form. And it's just, it's so enjoyable to watch. And on top of it, it's so funny, but there's so much heart there too. And I think he gets it. I think he just understands that all of the nuance and all of the layers of that is really what it takes. It's like that perfect recipe to make a film that people are going to want to come back and see. And like the same to be said about Mr. Pizza. You know, it's like these three sisters and like, yeah, like it's ridiculous and silly and funny, but at the end of the day, like it's really about the bond of the family. And it's, uh, I don't know, he gets the character development aspect with with his films, I think. Yeah, that's a good point. I, this this concept had been done before. Like on, it's a TV trope, apparently. Like the Bionic Woman's done it. Uh, Wonder Woman has done this. Beauty on Parade, Charlie's Angels, like the the secret agent being put into a beauty pageant had been done several times, particularly in the seventies. But I think this is where it found its most success. And I think, I think obviously Sandra Bullock's a big part of that. But as you pointed out, Donald Petrie being able to find the human dynamic and to give you the feels with the yes. laughs is is a big part of that. Um, Allie, in terms of the storytelling, this is a long comedy movie. Like it's, it's, it's well over the 90 minute mark. It's, 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 it's the two hour minute mark. Um, is it too long? Does it maintain its energy that's going through here? I typically have a very short attention span. That's why I like TV. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm more of the 21 minute comedy, right? With 30 minutes with commercials, 21 minutes. Um, I, I think there are some parts – I don't think anything's superfluous and I don't think anything is being overly belabored. 
I think back to the point, like, could you have tightened it up a little bit? Could this film have been tightened up a bit? Maybe, like, do we need so many of the citizen scenes where he's, like, putting a bomb on a water melon and stuff like that? Like, maybe not. Um, do we need to uh, spend as much time? Again, we've talked about this on the relationship. I think you could cut, cut that plot line Um and it wouldn't hurt anything. But, you know, it doesn't seem over overly long. I think the pace of the movie's good. I can't think of, like, a big lull. But, again, I'm such a fan of this movie. Yeah. I mean, they make a big investment that I don't know every movie would. So she yeah. has the failed mission. But then the, before she is deployed, I think you're well over – you're probably past 40 minutes before she gets her makeover. Like, mm-hmm. they, they take a long time to say – they they take a long time setting the stage. I'm okay with that. I'm just wanting to. I'm, I'm throwing it out there. Most comedies, certainly made today, would be pressured to go through that faster. Uh, Petrie's giving that time to to show that this world that she's in. I I, I think that's where it's probably going to get cut out of. I mean, I would hate to take it out of the pageant contestants, like the behind the scenes, uh, like of like Sandra Bullock you know, engaging and be, you know, finding friendship. I would hate to cut any of that stuff when mm-hmm. they go out and stuff like that. In fact, if anything, I wanted more of that. So I'm okay with it, but it is long for a comedy. And I just wanted to see clearly you like, what about you, Lizzie? Like, do you feel like it has good pace? It holds through and it justifies its two hour run. Yeah. I mean, I know Dustin loves a tight 90 and I, which I, and I agree with him. Like, I feel like sometimes I, I feel like there's so much that could be cut. But I actually appreciate all of the context because you're right. I mean, really the whole first half of the movie is just laying down the groundwork. And then the second is just watching that all unfold. But I enjoy the context because I think – I don't think that we would have the same softness in our hearts for Grace and – just the journey that she goes on if we didn't understand where she came from before. So I, I really appreciate the background context. And I'm I'm with Allie that like there's certain things that they could definitely cut out for sure. They don't need the Eric thing. They could shave off some fat. But all in all, like I love this movie so much. I just don't mind it. Like for me, it works. And I think this the one thing that I was surprised to see watching it again. Not surprised to see, but, you know, a lot of pageant films don't show the preliminary process of the pageant, which, like, again, pageant facts, it's not just the night of the show. There are preliminaries that help you get to the final 15 or final 10, whatever, that take days and days and days. Um, And everybody gets to do their talent. Everybody gets to do their evening gown. Um, But they showed that. And I thought that, you know, was that extra? Did you need all the prelim scenes? Maybe, maybe not. I think you had to establish the prelim in my mind. The purpose of it was more to establish Cheryl and be like a redemption redemption point for Cheryl because she does so poorly in the preliminaries. <laughs> yes, agreed. It's um, like it's like a nice arc. Yeah, I'm surprised she made the top ten well, based she had on to her remember, preliminary like, performance. She, she was fixed. Like Candace Bergen didn't want to allow her to get that far into it, but they they rigged it. Well, no, that Cheryl. Oh. Miss Rhode Island. Miss Rhode Island. She had a very poor performance. That's true. Yeah. She gave a terrible answer. (laughs) I'll be honest with you. Her batons weren't on fire. It's a two-hour movie. I was willing to inject more characters and side characters that, um, you know, that I would think that there'd be more 
side characters. You have 50 states to work with. We only see like five, five. other contestants, and that's only 10% of the contestants. There are small things. There are small clips, and like I think you could inject moments or montages of her engaging with other ones, perhaps mm-hmm. favorably, perhaps unfavorably. You know, um, but I just think that there's a chance to use more structure of all of this stuff that's going on. Yes, you have to cast more actresses. Yes, that's that's more work as a casting department. But you, to your point, it's a, it's a pageant. It's big. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, they locked in on five people and they didn't lock in on them so much where it's just like, I love all five of these people. You love Miss Rhode Island, but you don't, yes. you don't connect with any of them other in such a fact that you said we're going to narrow it down to here. So if you're going to lightly develop five, expand it. Because there's more potential for other things and other faux pas and stuff. So, and it involves uh, Mel Brooks kind of like, you know, like we're going to be fast. We're going to layer stuff in. Stuff's going to be going on behind us. You know, the funny girl from Nebraska is doing something else. And, you know, there, there has to be different layers going on. That's hard to arrange and hard to write for, but it's gold when it happens. I want to say when it's two hours long, though, it's worth it when you have the feels. If you're yes. just funny, we covered Caddyshack a few weeks ago, one of my favorite movies of all time. I love it. It's hilarious. But it's 90 minutes. There's no heart. <laughs> it's like sketches that are yeah. written. And like They're vignettes. Same thing, Blazing Saddles, we covered earlier. It's a very, very funny movie. But it doesn't make you feel in your heart like, ah, I, they, I mentioned earlier, this movie makes you feel good. makes you go, ah, like I feel better now that I saw this. That's when a comedy can go two hours. Planes, trains, automobiles. You can go two hours. I, you know, you've warmed my heart and you've made me laugh. And I think that, you know, that's, I think that's the defining factor of, you know, when you do that, which is why Judd Apatow can get away with writing a two and a half hour long comedy movie that's like right. This is 40. Because we feel so many things in that two and a half hours. Unless it's funny people, in which case it's not funny and it's too long and it's not very good. But that was depressing. That was a in, hard movie to watch. I'll never watch I've never again. seen that film. I will not add it to my list. Don't do so it. Watch Don't the other it. Judd Apatow movies. You just talked about like how you like Trainwrecked earlier and stuff. I mean, Apatow's Oh, awesome. I love This is 40. My husband and I are like, it's our lives. And whenever we have cupcakes, I have to yell at him, stop eating cupcakes because <laughs> – which is, <laughs> is from that movie. Yes. Um, great film. But Petrie needed a hit here. He hadn't – had a lot of success. He'd gotten from like The Favor, Country Estates, Richie Rich, The Associate. Like he, this was seven movies back since he had had a profitable movie with Grumpy Old Men. So he he needed this movie, and it it kind of kickstarted him for the rest of his. I guess after this, he gets How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days, which we covered earlier, um, a long time ago, and then he kind of peters out again. So it's interesting. Petrie kind of rides this roller coaster. It's interesting. This was lightning for him. And like, uh, it was a hit when he needed it. So I'm with you, Lizzie. I don't know why he has it sometimes, and then sometimes he does. This is Mooseport with uh, Ray Romano. Um, or so it's uh, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But he seems to nail the characters here. Yes, agreed. I'm gonna say part of his success might be when he comes across a brilliant actor like Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau and Gumby Old Men, or or Julia. Julia Roberts. I was going to say Julia. Yes, I was going to say Julia Child. That's not right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Julia Roberts was in Mystic Pizza. The the whole cast was talented in Mystic Pizza. And here you have Sandra Bullock, Michael Caine, just great cast. So maybe it's maybe it's the actors with Donald Petrie, but he certainly supports them when when they're here. Allie, 
is this world of the pageant glam enough? I wasn't sure. We have a San Antonio setting. Obviously, the bureau setting is supposed to be fairly banal and bland. Uh, mm-hmm. But I kept thinking, is this lavish enough? I feel like it should be ritzier. And I mean, when I see the budget on this movie, I would have thought that they, you know, we would have been having something a little more extravagant, luxurious. Or is it just these things are held in San Antonio and this feels about right? Um, so typically not San Antonio. <laughs> they don't remember the Alamo when it comes to pageant locations. It's more often in Las Vegas. Um, Miss USA or yeah, Miss USA is historically in Atlantic City, um, which, you know, San Antonio might be nicer than Atlantic City. So that, that might be a glow up. But I think what they were trying to do is just establish like this, the kind of like random city that's rooted in this pageant's this fictitious pageant's heritage that's what i was getting for it in terms of like the contest itself it seemed to be on par with the tastefulness of something like miss america like kind of minimal um in terms of set design and all of that um so i didn't i didn't mind that san antonio is a little bit of a stretch I don't know why a pageant would be in San Antonio. I just figured Beverly Hills, Los Angeles, New York. No, it's Vegas. mostly like Vegas and Atlantic City are like the big the big okay. ones. Yeah. I just I don't know why I project more um affluence onto onto the nature of the events. I just Well, I, I mean ex- they they are expensive. Being in pageants is one of the most expensive hobbies you oh, can I have. Bet. I bet. Well, it's expensive. well, then it's not for me then. That, <laughs> you you pop my bubble. Um I was in pageants, a couple of pageants in my youth, so I can say that. Okay. Did you have a talent? <laughs> I I do not even want to get into it on this podcast. Oh, <laughs> okay, so you guys are on a podcast with the reigning sesquicentennial queen of the city of Austin, Indiana. That means that I was crowned the queen of the city on its 150th birthday, and I will be queen of my hometown until I am 67 years old. What? The bicentennial. I didn't know we had royalty on the show. Oh, my goodness. You're welcome. So I've I've only, like, dedicated a clock and been in, like, two parades, and then I moved out. (laughs) I moved out of the city, out of my hometown whenever I went to college and don't go back. Well, I've been in zero parades and dedicated zero clocks. Yeah, a big deal. That's amazing. That is very cool. Yes. So we had uh, an essay portion. We didn't do bathing suits. We did business wear. (laughs) Um, which was just funny. Like Romy and Um, Michelle style. Correct. I think I wore like a purple suit or something. I can't remember the suit I wore, but I remember my talent. It was 2002, a year after 9-11. And I was also editor of my school paper. And I had written an editorial about the lack of compassion just one year after 9-11. Like I felt like America was like right back to where it was. Like where was the – brotherhood sisterhood that we had being americans a year ago and so all that to say my talent i was kind of an iMovie geek and so i did a patriotic video montage to the song where is the love by justin timberlake and i think (laughs) will i am and not only that i made the video montage which was political commentary but then i did a choreographed dance in front of the video montage I love it so much. This is much. terrific. I love all of this. This is great. I love it so much. My final question was, what do you wish most for 
for your future children. And number one, I should have said, I don't really want kids, but I didn't say that because I wanted to win. And I have a kid, so (laughs) it ended up being fine. But I said, I wish that my children could have a more peaceful world in which to live. World peace. World peace, baby. It said so much more eloquently. Yeah. No wonder I won. Like, patriotic video montage. You didn't want tougher penalties for parole violators? <laughs> I should have said that. I love, I love that when the audience just like sits there blankly yeah. deadpan, like not reacting, and then she goes, and world, world peace. <laughs> and, like, and the crowd just like, yes, that's what I want to hear. That should have been, I don't think I would have won. Like, I just really wanted to win. <laughs> that would be like me now. That's what I would have said. <laughs> I just like at the end of the very end. I really do want world peace. Everybody does. Yeah, everybody does. Do. Justin Timberlake does in the song "Where Is the Love." Black Eyed Peas too. Yes, I will hit. Yes, that's um, the most embarrassing thing I've ever admitted. <laughs> that I, did. I think that's something to be proud of. I think yes, that's amazing. That's yes, there you go. There's a video of it somewhere. Just find my mom. She'll she'll find it. This is great. So, you know, on Pod You're Afraid of the Dark, when you introduce her, you can always say, you know, beauty pageant queen, queen. of Austin, Indiana. Yes. That Raining. crown that was on my head for my birthday post, like, that needs to be on your head. Like, you need the tea. You need like a sparkly tiara. The, the tiara it was so teeny tiny. I the think budget are limited. But I have a sash. It's still at my house in my old childhood bedroom. Oh, my god. Well, I'll have to I'll have to keep it until I'm 67. Whenever I come back to crown the bicentennial queen, there you go. I love it. Oh my gosh, you're so special. I love it so much. <laughs> this is great. And I I really liked how this movie had a hard time. I think it is hard. Sandra Bullock's a beautiful woman to make her not pretty. Is it funny to see Sandra Bullock in bureau mode? So I I would never. I guess like when this, when I think of Sandra Bullock, I don't think beauty first. I think like ability first. Like she is beautiful. In person, she probably would be the most beautiful person I'd ever seen physically in real life. I wouldn't, and and she's not ugly, but like the transformation for me was just like, eh, because like she's pretty already. I don't think, they did a good job making her kind of unappealing. But I yeah, think it was more in her behavior than in her looks. Exactly. Susie uh, DeSoto, the costume designer, said it's hard to make pretty people Yeah, like they, they made her hair ratty and then made her eat ice cream like a Neanderthal. And A lot of it's in the performance. Was yeah, it was her performance. A whole lot of it is in the performance. Yeah. I mean, I didn't think the fuzzy banks that kept getting in her way, if anything, they were even a tad bit distracting. Like you couldn't see her eyes at times and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But um I'm with you. I think I think it's amazing that, you know, short of putting like food stains on people and stuff like that, I mean, or, you know, when you say like she's under makeup, I mean, it's not, I don't know, there's, there's this, uh, they didn't, they didn't steer too hard into that. And I think the, the unveiling later or whatever was, was funny because she has these moments where she still falls down. You know, she's mm-hmm. still, she's still her in that. And uh, I think that that's funny to reinforce that like fish out of water kind of thing. I don't know. Uh, I've watching her struggle in the transformation. Like I'm gliding over here in like the streets, yes. like 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 the midnight cowboy 
like reference. I'm walking over here, like redone to I'm gliding over here. Being from New Jersey was so perfect because mm-hmm. New Jersey has like a roughness to her. And yes. I'm glad that they made her from New Jersey versus, I don't know, somewhere from the Midwest. So they had to have somebody from Jersey because of the reason she was kicked out of the pageant. Like conveniently, you know, New Jersey was kicked out for appearance in a a film, right? Yes, an adult film. Adult film. Uh, Yes, I love it. I think that they they make her so like hyperbolic. Like they try to go for all the things that would make a person ugly. But I agree. It's like, Allie, you made a not another teen movie reference earlier, and I feel like it's the same thing. In a ponytail. (laughs) Yeah, it's like not Lainey Briggs. She's glasses in a ponytail. I mean, that's kind of exactly what they did with her. Where it's like her hair is just like frizzy. And she is just – it's really in, like, her posture and just the way she carries herself. Like, even if you had somebody that – like, that was their look, but they were kind of, like, a warm, loving person, I don't feel like any of those things would be alarming. It would just be, like, you know, she just has frizzy hair. Like, that just kind of is what it is. Yeah. But, you know, they make it's- fun of her by, like, her boots, like Eric's date – She's like, does everybody in the force have to wear those masculine boots? It's like they try to go for the clothes because I think that that's of the time. But I think now if that movie was made, like I don't think that they would focus so much on like the looks aspect. I think that they would really make it more of like the taming of the shrew aspect of it. And to your point, Allie mentioned that Sandra Bullock did all of her fighting and stunts and so it had been him and Brat, by the way. So she was very involved in that. But you know, she, Cinder Bullock did say, she humorously said the most difficult thing for her was to walk around with extra, like, enlarged fake breasts, stiletto heels, and that was that was hard for her. Action, leaping, and jumping, all of that was no problem for her. And Donald Petrie and Gil, uh, Jack Gill, the stunt coordinator, all said she's very capable, very good at all of this physical stuff. So I don't know if that's just being humorous and funny and self-deprecating, but she really did have to do it all as an actor to be able to straddle both of these worlds and to portray somebody who was having our time. But to your point, she was saying that as an actress, pageantry and beauty and, you know, having this didn't come as naturally. And um, perhaps that plays to the, to the role, but it conveys beautifully. The feeling of the pageantry, Allie, did it nail the, all the things that you love about pageants? It definitely did. You know, I love a talent. I'm really glad that they decided to do that. I think that the, the only thing I question again is like the re- – and I get why they're, they centered – we talked earlier about the five that they center on. Number one, like how did Gracie make friends with like everyone in the top five? Like they all make top ten, top five. <laughs> like she picked a real group of winners. Great job. Um, I think where some some of the like plot hole, if I had to have one, was like – how did again? How did Cheryl make the finals? Because she wouldn't have in that situation, just based off that horrible answer that she gives. Or is it a great answer? I don't know. We'll debate that later. Um, but it, it seemed to really like hold up all the parts of the pageant, the way they flow, what judges seem to look for. Like all of that to me seemed pretty pretty good, right? So I think they did a good job capturing the scholarship program pageant environment yeah 
And you guys Mine is that opening choreographed dance. That was kind of weird. I don't know if anybody does choreographed dances. We actually did do one in the Sesquicentennial pageant, but they don't anymore. I don't think they do choreographed dances. I love that scene. That's like one of my favorite scenes. Like the one in a million. I remember when I was a kid, I was obsessed with that scene. I loved it so much. The one in a million song that uh, got the Golden Globe for that. So, all right. Um, Do you guys want to have some superlatives? Yes. All right, Allie, who's your MVP? Can I? I, I want to go not obvious. You can. Like, I like to go like a little bit left of center. One person we haven't talked about in this is William Shatner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. He makes me laugh so hard. He's just so aloof and like plays into this like clueless co host, I think, really, really, really well. And at the end, whenever like bombs are going off and he's still singing the song, I think that was really, really clever and funny to have Stan Stan Fields like kind of be just this like doof on the side. But William Shatner just delivers it in the most like charming way. I love William Shatner. I think he's funny. He's very funny in this. Lizzie, who's your MVP? Um, I I went with Sandra Bullock. I felt like the the natural choice for me, but I I just feel like this movie just like we said before, it just doesn't work without her. I think that she is so charming and funny and the camera loves her. Like you just can't take your eyes off of her and I just really think that what she is able to bring to the character is what makes this movie worth watching and why you go back. Absolutely. And I've I've been singing her praises all night. Sandra Bullock my pick as well. Best supporting. I mean, that would have been my pick if I were yeah. basic. Oh, I'm basic. <laughs> All right. Well, Allie, who's your best supporting? Oh, my gosh. Best supporting. Best supporting. I'm going to go with – so I mentioned the character earlier. I think the character of Mary Jo is – very funny because she's supposed to be this not likable. Like she might be the one that has like an air of competitiveness to her, but we all know that girl, right? The Mary Jo girl, but she does have redemption in the end. She comes and helps Gracie when she needs to get ready. She becomes part of that tribe. Um, even though Gracie breaks her nose at the end, like she still claps for her when she wins Miss Congeniality. <laughs> um, but I think Mary Jo is another under underlooked character. So I'm gonna, you know, I like to give it. I like to give it to the oddballs, and I'm going to give my next superlative to Mary Jo, Miss Texas, oh, right. hometown hero. Yeah, I love absolutely. when she loses; like she gets caught, or uh, like cut from the competition. She just like shrugs her shoulders, <laughs> like that's it's like a really like blink and you miss it scene. That she's just mm-hmm. like rather than having a graceful thing, she's absolutely shocked that she's not in the final two, and she's like, "Well, okay, this this is what it is." Absolutely, Lizzie, who's your best supporting? I put Cheryl. She's just my absolute – like, to me, I think she – if this movie survives on the back of Sandra Bullock, I feel like so much of the heart is also delivered through Cheryl. Like, she just – she is the one that is responsible for softening Grace. I think so much more than – than Eric or really any of the other ladies. I feel like it's that friendship more than anything. Like the hot chocolate scene, I think like that kind of starts it. And then as they continue through their journey, just like I think she's the one that softens her heart so much and she's so sweet and innocent. And I just – I 
love her. The majority of the scenes that I enjoyed the most have Cheryl in them. So she's Satan's definitely my best supporting. <laughs> she said there were Satan's panties. <laughs> oh, so good. Yeah. All right. Well, um, my best supporting went to William Shatner as well. Nice. So. Yeah, so just brought him right to the forefront. Great, great guy. No, you nailed it. Hidden gem, Allie. Oh, hidden gem. So the element that I'm going to go with an element on this one, and I do think that it's something that people – I pay attention to the things people ignore. And one of the – the things that I think is a hidden gem to really show, and we talked about it earlier, that Grace is kind of an animal, is the steak and spaghetti. So I'm going to give my hidden gem to the concoction <laughs> meal of the steak and spaghetti and the beer. At you the try it. Let us know what you think. Because I just thought that was like so – again, they had to rely on her behavior and her meal choices to show how discussion, just disgusting she was. Um, so steak and spaghetti gets my hidden gem. People don't – doesn't get enough credit in that movie. Nice. Lizzie, <laughs> what's your hidden gem? Mine is there's this dynamic between Kathy Morningside and Grace where every single time Grace answers a question with yeah, she Kathy corrects her yes, yes. And that happens several times throughout the movie. And then towards the end – it gets flipped on its ear where she's like, this is – you know, Kathy's getting arrested at this point and it's all getting wrapped up. She's like, this is – you cannot take this away from me. This is my beauty pageant. She's like, hey, 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 hey. This is not a beauty pageant. It's a scholarship program. Kathy's, yeah, yeah. And then Grace is the one that turns it around. Yes. And that for me was a hidden gem because my mom – is a true Southern belle, like born and raised in Danville, Kentucky and all the things. And that was a huge thing for me growing up because just uh, when we moved to Ohio, everybody said, yeah, nobody said yes. And my mom, every day that was a struggle for her is to get us to say yes. And so when this movie came out, that was like one thing that my mom was like, see, see. And so I just, it's always going to stick for me. All right. Yeah. Mine's going to be Don Cass, the actor. He's the pageant director. So he's the guy who gets uh, upset when things aren't going well or, you know, he's like, can we say lesbians on the air? <laughs> and um, Or uh, she's kicking his butt. All right. You know, like, I mean, like this guy's reactions are very funny and I love his little spot. He's the no-name actor. And um, I also love it when he goes, okay, everybody, good show. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Recast, Allie. If, if you had to recast somebody else and put them in their place, who would it be? Oh, that's like, that's a, you know, that's one that I had to think about a lot. And I think my answer would probably be the son. Um, his name is escaping me right now. Frank. What's his name? Frank. Yes. Like, I don't know what it is about that guy. Maybe it's because he's a redhead or something. Like, I just didn't like him. Um, I, It just wasn't believable that Kathy Morningside's spawn would be that unrefined. Like, I feel like they should have leaned more into the Kathy side of things versus, like, the son that was too doofy to know better, if that yes. makes sense. Like, I think they could have found somebody that, like, you would have believed would have been – Now, William Shatner's son, I would have believed that all day. 
Um, but Kathy's son, I think they could have picked somebody a little bit more elevated, a little bit better looking, all of that. All right. Lizzie, who are you recasting? I, I, so I chose Frank too, and I chose Seth Green to replace Frank. This was like right around the same time Mm. where Austin Powers was like a huge deal. And so, you know, Seth Green was getting, you know, Seth Green is like incredibly famous from Robot Chicken and. Um, I think Family Guy kind of came sometime afterwards, but you know he, in his own right, was already super famous. But I feel like he was kind of brought directly into the spotlight because of Austin Powers, and honestly, like really had a lot of staying power. And I just think he did such a great job of playing this like whiny, ridiculous, over the top son. And I think that's what they were trying to go for with Frank. And kind of to your point, Allie, I just think it fell flat. Like I think Frank was. I think it would have been more enjoyable to watch if Frank was more compelling. It, like this more like kind of – he had his own comedic background storyline in the kind of in the same vein that like Scott does in Austin Powers. So for me, it was Seth Green swapping out one ginger for another. All right. I like the Seth Green. Uh, my recast is going to be John DeRista. Like he's the agent Klonks, Klonsky. He, and I just want to get another agent in there to add more comedy from the rest of the Bureau. I want Jason Alexander as one of the agents. Nice. Best shot, Allie. Best shot. Um, this is an easy one for me. It may relate to something a little bit later. But the shot of Grace coming out as Gracie Lou Freebush from that airport hangar in the Irv Lager bandage dress. You cannot get better than like the sl- Mustang Sally's playing. Sandra Bullock actually played the tambourine in that cut of Mustang Sally. Fun fact. Um, and it's slow and they like really drink in that moment. And then I think where it pivots to the moment where it speeds up and she falls down and she says the line, don't mess with me. Like that was just so brilliant. Like the the polarization of those two moments of the beauty and like she's still grace. That's mine too. It's in the previews, but with good reason. Like yes. I, I knew that was coming before I ever watched the movie, mm-hmm. and it was very funny. So, Lizzie, what did was it your still like deliver in the moment, even though it was something that you had yeah, seen? Yeah, I mean, again, I I wanted to see this movie. That mm-hmm. was one of those things that I thought was funny. I mean, watching this person who's perturbed while absolutely gorgeous and very fabulous and walking out of, you know, you know, and just obviously not got it. Like this movie is summed up in that like little one snippet. Mm -hmm. So well, it's why it's in the preview. So I do think it delivered. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, it's what the movie is. So what about you, Lizzie? We're three for three. That was mine too. It's just iconic. It's you think of this movie and that, that particular scene where the, you know, you first you have Vic and all of the people in kind of like this pinky, tones and then they just kind of part ways perfectly to make way for her to have the spotlight and it's just everything about that moment is iconic her hair is not in a ponytail anymore it's brushed (laughs) she's brushed her hair out she's beautiful because her hair is brushed that's right (laughs) best scene Allie. best scene um I'm going to go back to my previous – I was trying to look at my notes. I'm going to go back to the previous one. I think the first interaction between Cheryl and Grace – I call her Gracie after she's, like, beautiful for some reason. Mm-hmm. Cheryl and Gracie where she comes into her room 
what I what I love about that so much, it sets the tone for their relationship where they're like the two they interact a little bit on the bus earlier, but like it cements them as these two oddballs that like don't quite fit in for completely different reasons. And you know what Cheryl could have done is okay, Gracie was kind of standoffish and like didn't really pick up what I was putting down earlier on the bus. Um, or at the luncheon, but you know what? I'm I want to be her friend, and I'm going to go try again. And it was just so endearing when she knocked on her door and she gave her apparently non-fat hot chocolate tastes different than I don't know. Doesn't sound to good. Me, no, the, sound I mean, good. the milk milk is milk. I don't. You guys didn't think we'd be talking about this on the podcast, but I don't think skim milk takes tastes different than two percent. Mm, I don't know. I actually disagree. I every time, that. every time, every time you go from whole to two to one to skim, it gets it gets whole less milk. milk. It gets, Who's it drinking gets, whole milk? Gets, this girl right here. I'll be honest with you. I <laughs> I didn't use whole milk for a long time, and then my son, when you know, when 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 babies start to drink regular milk, you start when you start them on whole. Yeah, milk. they drink and, whole milk. Well, then I'd be discovered how Lizzie. whole milk was. And, and I was like, wow, <laughs> this is really good. <laughs> I. Uh, I used to have skim milk and my parents used to make me drink skim milk for my meal. And I'm sitting there going like, I, you wouldn't have had to make me drink this if, if I <laughs> like. I would get like 2%. I'll get 1%. I don't know. Um, whole milk's amazing. I don't, I don't get You don't drink it all the time, but it's amazing. If I have like cereal, like skim is fine. Oh no, yeah. Cereal. I, yeah. I mean, anything's good when you put cereal in it. My family was a strict skim milk family and I will never forget the time going over to a friend's house when they had whole milk and it was like crack it was just like this insane yeah. what is this yeah. <laughs> this is so creamy i'm gonna have to like, and get some whole milk I'm with you. i loved it so much i put it in my coffee i don't like drink it playing too much like as an adult but i mean i will if i'm having like a cookie or something that warrants a glass of milk we'll do it whole so, milk will be endorsing us now yeah, thank yep. you we need a sponsor the, the dairy farmers come yeah. come at us that's right best scene for me it's going to be the scene where uh, she takes the crown and the backstage fight just goes into pandemonium. I love seeing this <laughs> perfect, you know, etiquette filled pageantry. Everything's prim proper come wrecking down with the fights. They think yes. she's trying to take her crown. There's, she's kicking and screaming and pulling and just like, uh, love it. I love it. The thing's blowing up. I mean, Shatner's like doesn't know what to do. I mean, I love it. I love, it I love it all one. coming, coming, coming down. Um, uh, Lizzie, did I ask you your best scene? No, not yet. I'm sorry. I jumped ahead of you. Lizzie, best scene. My favorite scene is, I kind of already talked about it a little bit, but it's the girl talk scene. I think that that is so much fun. It's like watching all of these sisters and you know, you see at one point like Hawaii and uh, New York kind of go at it a little bit. You know, there's all this like tension at between some of the different girls at different points in time, but they're always able to squash it. Uh, just kind of going along with the same sisterhood mentality. Like everybody is always able to get back to a really good place of supporting each other. But that scene in particular is like everybody is really for the first time completely getting along. And it's just – it to me felt like the full-blown turning point where she was like, okay, I think that I've – the thing that they tell you to not do while you're on the job, I imagine, as a undercover agent getting attached. And like you can feel like in that moment that now all of these people are her best friends and like she's super ride or die for them. They're all going out and having that camaraderie with each other. And that was the big turning point, I think, for me. It was 
And then the Satan's panties line, just the best. And I want to go to that bar. I want to, you know, take tubi shots and play with like paint on a drum. And I mean, that just sounds like fun to me. It did look fun. Allie, best wardrobe or makeup moment? Uh, wardrobe, again, goes to the lilac Irv Lager bandage dress. Like I went down a rabbit hole on this and – Guys, I'm not going to lie. For Halloween, 10 out of 10 going to be Gracie Lou Freebush. I've got to yes. do it. <laughs> because good. that dress was – I just remember that being everything. Like yes, the agreed. color and like it was – that was so fashion. And if you Google it now, it, Irv Lager makes bandage dresses still. Um, now, should he be – I don't know. Like it's 20 years later. Um but you can – there's so many, like, Reddit conversations about, like, where do I get that dress? Where do I get that dress? And I think in in the day, like, I remember prom dresses were influenced by that. Yes. Um, it was just everywhere, right? And so it's just – it's the most iconic – it may be one of the most iconic wardrobe pieces from a film of all time to me. Nice. That dress. That's high praise. Lizzie, how about you? I love the dress. I were two for two on that one. I loved the dress. To me, the big iconic dresses that I think about when I think of my favorite early 2000s rom-coms, ironically, both from the same director, I think of this purple dress and then the yellow dress, Allie's on your head. She got me on the same path from How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. But I, I loved this dress. This was a huge moment for me as a kid. I think – I feel like this is the first time – outside of like Disney princesses that I can really recall like loving someone's outfit and like really I being attracted to the fashion aspect of it. So I – the purple dress had a big impact on me and I still love it. I went for humor here. I went for the German water glass performance outfit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's over the top. It's corny and you know it's not being received well by the audience and it's funny. And I like it when yes. – like it so – uh, and, and, oh, that, that does bring back another great scene where uh, Gracie's getting ready to go on for her talent and the girls drank all the water. Yes. 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 <laughs> great. My girls got dehydrated. <laughs> change, change one thing, Allie. I think it's that I, going going back to it, and maybe I'm just too inspired by Frozen where I don't think that every movie needs to have a girl gets the guy to become self-aware. Um, I don't, I just don't think that's needed in this. I think it would have stood up without that. Mm -hmm. Now, would it have been as successful in the early 2000s as a rom-com? Like it doesn't have the rom in it if you don't have it. But what I think it could have done is it was a very influential movie with the most influential actress at the time. And I think what would that have done to cinema at the time if the takeaway was you don't need a man? Like, it could just be a com com. It could be a com com, yeah. yeah, or like a friendship com, like a friend com, yeah. or something like that, right? And if if they were to make it today, I think it would have a different resolution. Lizzie, how about you? I agree with that. That's actually almost like somewhat word for word, word what I put, and just in the sense that I don't think that Eric is necessary. I think that she the this movie is not necessarily romantic but there is like there is a relationship arc in this movie but it's not between Gracie and Eric it's between 
Gracie and possibly Cheryl or Gracie and all of these women. It's just she's realizing that letting people in her life ha- can can have her – It's they're not going to burden her. If anything, they're going to enrich her life fuller. But she doesn't realize that through Eric. So I, I agree. I don't really think he's necessary. I think it would have been really cool. And I'm trying to think now, like, what's the first movie that I can really recall where that happened? I'll have to think on that because I, I can't put my finger on the first movie that really didn't have that happily ever after. I mean, nine to five, none of those ladies end up with their guy. That's true. That's very true. I don't consider that, I guess, because that was like, I, I saw that I mean, being like so much later in life. But um, but yeah, so I guess that they did it. They got it right. And it worked for them. You know, Dolly Parton does not need a man. No, no. no. And uh, uh, I would say uh, my chance for thing is right with you guys. It's Eric Matthews. I, I don't there's so many things you can do. You can make her before like pining over the cute guy at the bureau, like fantasizing that you'll never get him. And then he kind of teases her throughout. And then by the time she's pretty and realizes, I don't want you anymore. And she rejects him. You can do what I said before, of just like a platonic work relationship of like, I need you. I respect you um, as, a, as a work person and as a friendship level. You could do. Mm-hmm the you know somebody else in the bureau like the allen technique as you were talking mm-hmm. about like if somebody yep. else more overlooked gets her affection that is more deserving of it there's so many things you could do with it so there's actually a multi, there's a plethora of things you can do that are really good here that or he could have like there. said you did this like it was you from the beginning right like i can't believe that if the film continued to roll and we continued to see it that eric would have not taking credit for a lot of things. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> There's so many do there. It's not Benjamin Bratt's fault. I think it's the writing's fault. So I agree. I think it's the I think it's the writing and the pressure to live up to a trope that was very successful at the time. True. Yeah. Best quote, Allie. Oh my gosh. Uh, whenever and Lizzie, I'm sorry, I stole it from you earlier, but I still say this to the this day when people are chewing with their mouth opens uh, with their mouth open and trying to talk. And she says, "So what's the deal? With, how long have you been doing this pageant stuff anyway?" And he said, "I'm sorry, what was the question? I was distracted by the half masticated cow rolling around in your wide open trap." It's <laughs> good. And I yeah. still, oh, good. I still say it. Ask my husband if he's. Eating, I'm like, I'm sorry, but I was distracted by the half masticated cow <laughs> rolling around in your wide open trap. It's just it's a great line. But tell me what the word masticated was. It sounds dirty. It's not. But yeah, I still say it. It sticks. <laughs> it's funny. There's another line I still say, but somebody else is going to say it. So Lizzie. Yes. I, this is one where I went for the, I mean, the obvious quote I feel like is, feels like Cheryl's, but I, mm-hmm. um, I went with two women with one that I use all the time still. And it's from your best supporting Allie's from Mary Jo. So in your favorite scene, the hot chocolate scene, they're together, uh, Cheryl and Gracie, they're sharing their hot chocolate. They're like kikiing together. And she's like, you know, I think you're definitely gonna win. No, you're definitely gonna win. And all all of a sudden, Mary Jo who you think is just laying there sound asleep, she pops her head open. She goes, Excuse me, I'm in the middle of a REM cycle over here. <laughs> I, I love that so much. I 
I like have that's a part of my vernacular. Like I will if I'm like trying to sleep, especially now with kids. Like when somebody comes in, I'm just like, guys, come on! Like I need a REM cycle, and uh, it's just it's a hilarious line. I love it. And and why does she sleep with her face mask on? I don't. She's know. sleeping with like a goopy face mask on. No, to get it like in your mouth, up your nose. Like she that that's another funny line where she's like, no. just come in. My roommate's over here molding. <laughs> just. It's yeah. I know Russell. Uh, big. I'm big on skincare. Liz, Lizzie knows I like to like play with the skincare stuff. But I saw that and I was just like, that looks like a breeding bound, like breeding ground for bacteria. Yes. Like, can you not marry Joe? But Grace, anyway. <laughs> my 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 best quote is going to be when Gracie says, "Look, I know what I'm going to do. I haven't done this since high school, but it's like riding a bike." And Victor <laughs> interrupts her and is like, "You are not having sex up on that stage, Gracie Hart." <laughs> Not what I like, had in mind. And so she's like, I didn't know that was an option, which is super funny. But I mean, like the anger and the quickness of the yes. delivery of Michael Caine and <laughs> is so funny. The timing's great. So I love it. That's so we should we should talk about the other line that like Oh yes, yes, none of us said it, yes. The perfect day. Describe your perfect date. <laughs> I would say April twenty-fifth. <laughs> not, not too hot. hot. Called all you need is a light jacket. jacket. And one of my best friends in high school was born on April 25th. And so oh. for all time now, it's like your birthday is the perfect day. <laughs> it's I'm, the perfect I'm surprised nobody said I'm in a dress. I have hair in my, I have hair gel in my hair. I haven't slept all night. I'm starved and I'm armed. Don't mess with mess me. Mess with me. Yeah, so. that's a good one too. It can't compete with half masticated cow. I did. I did it think it when she jumped on somebody in the crowd for having a gun, but it, thankfully somebody later said, of, "Of course he had a gun. It's Texas. Everybody has a gun. My florist has <laughs> a gun." That's a gun. And, and, and she's shouting, going, "I don't have a gun." <laughs> that is his one of his shining moments. I don't have a gun. He's <laughs> like, like one of the biggest star. Like if you think about like in the ether of people in this movie like William Shatner is just as iconic as Sandra Bullock but he took such a backseat but like also was so good like thank you for doing this movie William Shatner it was not beneath you and I know that this probably catapulted him to Priceline fame so agreed I actually know that yeah good stepping stone all right we've come full circle but before we give our ratings Lizzie, do you want to remind us where we will soon be able to hear more from you and Allie? Yes. Yes. Coming soon. Retro Movie Roundtable listeners, you guys should be the first people to find out because we will let all of the hosts know. But Pod You Afraid of the Dark, it is an Are You Afraid of the Dark rewatch podcast with myself, Allie, and Leah. Leah has been on two episodes, I believe. She did Shrek and Princess Bride and hopefully more in the future. So you guys like Leah, love Allie. Hopefully you're not sick of me yet. And if so, go check us out. I'll never be asked back on the show, just to be clear. I'm just Untrue. Kidding. Untrue. <laughs> All right. This is the big moment on a five-star scale, half-star intervals. Allie, what would you give this movie? Oh, God. I'm going to – guys, I have to. I have to do it. I have to give – I have to give it a five. And I – I, that's, that's if allowed. I could give a, if I could give like four eight, I would take two points off for the Eric dynamic. But like in terms of like just enjoying my freaking self in this crazy world, full of terrible things, it's a five. It's I'm, a five from me. I will defend your approach to that so hard. I have I have so many people come on even with movies they love and sit there and go, "It's not perfect." I'll give it a four. 
I love that you love it that much. So thank you for just saying like this movie is mine. It's a five. So Lizzie, it's a five from me. How about you, Lizzie? Honestly, it's a five for me too. I feel like for me, I I don't need the movie to be perfect in order to feel that the movie is perfect. I I, I mean, really, what is a perfect movie? Honestly, I think it's it's this movie is perfect escapism. I think as far as rom-coms are concerned, the Eric thing, obviously, like we've said before, I mean, we could kind of do without it, but I'm so willing to overlook it because there's so much good here. And I just ultimately have a blast when I watch it. And it is when I think about a girl power movie, I mean, this is like one of the first ones that will always be cemented in my mind. It lives rent-free. Love it. And – I am don't throw things at me, you two. I'm giving this a 3.5. I like it a lot and I would recommend it. I think it has moments where I sit there and go, ah, that thing didn't land or that thing feels like, you know, like that thing didn't actually hold up. And so I'm coming to it having watched this in 2023 and at, uh, you know, at my the age that I've come into it. So the fact that you've gotten to rewatch this as many times as you have, and it's holding up to you and it's meaning that much to you says so much. So mm-hmm. I enjoy this movie. I would watch this again. I would recommend it. And I am, that says a lot because there are major writing issues that I had with this, like as far as the comedy at moments, but more so like in terms of the structuring, I think it does a lot of things right. I think it messes up some things. So, um, but it's funny enough and it's good enough and it feels good enough to overcome all of those problems. So uh, it, that that's a lot of work to do. So like, yeah, not having the nostalgia with it. I think that's a that's a great score having no nostalgia because the nostalgia effect is high on this film for a lot of people. Yeah, and Um, it's a three point five with love, and it's it's like major blemishes are keeping it down for me. But I mean, it's good, and I would watch it again. So three point five with love. Lizzie, do you want to help me pick a movie next time? I do. Let's do it. Okay, so next week we're going to do something that we don't normally do. We're going to switch it up and do animated TV shows. We are a movie podcast, even when we talk TV, but we're going to go right back to the movies. So here are three movies based on animated TV shows. Are you ready? Yes, I am. Okay, so option one, the Care Bears movie from 1985. The Care Bears team up with troubled brother and sister who's just moved into a new town to help a neglected young magician's apprentice whose evil spell book caused sinister things to happen. Option number two, Transformers the movie 1987. The Autobots must stop a colossal planet consuming robot after he goes after the Autobot matrix of leadership. At the same time, they must defend themselves against an all-out attack from the Decepticons. Option number three, G.I. Joe, the movie, also from 1987. The heroic G.I. Joe action force must oppose the ruthless Cobra organization that is secretly allied with the subterranean reptilian people who were their founders. I'm going to go back and do Transformers here. I haven't seen this movie. Nice. So I feel like I've missed a piece of my childhood, so let's do that. Secretly, I was hoping that you were going to choose the Care Bears movie, but we will go with Transformer. <laughs> Got it. Um, so thank you, Allie, so much for coming. We loved having you. Yeah, it was so fun. Yeah. Um, I would be willing to come back anytime we talk about a movie that's not the Transformers. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you are our first beauty queen 
uh, that we've had on the show. So yeah, thank you. if you ever need royalty, just hit me up. Yes. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. It's basically like Meghan Markle being here. It is. Oh my really? gosh. It's uh, for. Yeah. I don't know. Princess Kate's more likable though, right? I'm not likable though, so I'm Meghan Markle. That's oh, why I chose Meghan. Oh. Posh. That is. That is. Lizzie unreal. is the Kate to my Meghan. That is okay. under no. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, anytime, guys. It's been so fun. Thank you, all the Lords, Ladies, and Knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. So subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Disher, Pandora, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a like on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram or Twitter at, at movie underscore retro and email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. Producing and providing this podcast is fun, but not free. So we invite you to support the show at our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash retromovieroundtable. All contributions are much appreciated and will go towards making the show better for you, the listeners and not into our greedy little pockets. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Lizzie? I dream of a love that even time will lie down and be still for.